0: Hey, and welcome to the Cross Point Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So, if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. God we thank you for the service of Brendan we pray that what the Holy Spirit says will come through Brendan's mouth God may you bless this service and the things he has to teach to us and say to us may they be uplifting and encouraging and instructive on how we are to live a godly life in this community we thank you for all you've given us and for the wisdom and knowledge you've given Brendan to be able to share this important message. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Aiden. If I haven't met you, my name is Brendan. I'm the Young Adults and Connections pastor. But I want to begin by sharing the very unlikely story of how my childhood best friend ended up on the s- streets of downtown East Hastings in Vancouver. Growing up, I had a best friend, his name was Jesse, and him and I spent so much time together. Our families were really good friends, we went on vacation together. We did a lot of things together, building forts, went to the same school, and we really had grown a very close connection. Now, when it came time for high school, I moved to a different high school, and so we kind of slowly drifted apart, though we stayed kind of connected. And I heard through my family that my best friend Jesse had decided to move to downtown East Hastings. And so if you're not familiar with Vancouver, East Hastings is one of the largest uh, neighborhood areas of people experiencing houselessness, addictions, but also one of the largest areas of charities and services and ministries. And so it really made me think, How would someone who had grown up in the suburbs like me, who had lived a similar life, make a decision to want to move to downtown East Hastings? And so I learned of this incredible story in which she had an encounter with Jesus, who actually called him to go spend a month on the streets there. And so he spent a whole month there, you know, getting to learn the story of the people that were there, getting to learn the stories of the different ministries and services there. And so when he finally had finished his time there and he came back, him and I connected and I asked him about his experience. I said, what was it like there? And he said, well, while I was there, I was able to find shelter, I was able to find three meals a day, I was able to find clothes and the things that I needed. And so I said, well, if you're able to find all these things, why are so many people still living there? And it was a long, complicated answer. But one common theme that he found throughout all the different people that he had a conversation with was a lack of hope. That they didn't believe that things could look different. Now, I share this story not to simplify the challenge of people you know, Experiencing houselessness or addiction, which is a complicated problem, even within our own city. But I share this story to recognize at the heart of all of us, there's a need for hope. There's a need for longing for something more that we can be directed our lives towards. And so when it comes to the idea of hope or even hopelessness, it's often rooted in our experience. It can be rooted in the past. Maybe you're someone who experiences a lack of hope and you hear this common script in your head or with the other people that you know. He says, you know, I looked in the past and things just are not going to get better. I've seen this script before. But this sense of hopelessness is also connected to the future. When we look ahead to see what is coming, there can be this desire this recognition where I don't see the future getting any better than what it is right now. And so really at the heart of what it means to be human is this longing for meaning and hope. And this is what we've been going through, this idea of hope for the ages. In our Christmas series, looking at, at hope through the lens of Advent. And so Advent is this season of waiting. Where we looked, you know, in the past to Israel and their story. And this anticipation of Jesus coming. But as followers of Jesus, we also look forward to the future. When Jesus will come again to make all things new. That as i talked about this idea of hopelessness is rooted in the past and how we see the future but also as we will come to find in our passage this morning in the book of colossians is the same thing but paul actually encourages us to expand our vision to look further than our immediate past to the past of god's ultimate plan of redemption And last week, when Jim kicked off the series, we looked at that our hope is actually rooted in the promises of God, that he is going to make things new. At the same time, our hope in the present is linked to our hope in the future. That Paul is going to encourage us to look beyond our immediate situation to the end of all things in which Jesus is going to make all things new. And so our big idea for this morning Is that our present hope is rooted in what is promised and revealed through participating in what is to come? This is how our present hope is shaped. And so, with that being said, I encourage you to flip to the book of Colossians in uh, chapter 1, verses 24, we're going to go 24 to 29. Uh, We're just going to walk through the passage together, and then we're going to look at how that uh, unpacks our present hope. Verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. And so we find in this letter in Colossians Similar to the letter in Ephesians that we've been walking through, that Paul is writing this likely from jail. Paul seems to be, for some reason, do his best writing out of jail. (laughs) For me, I'm like very different. I like, I need to come like super early to the office, no one around, no noise at all. Get like double monitors going, nice cup of coffee. Then, then maybe I could come up with a good idea. And here is Paul, you know, in a dungy prison with chains and shackles. And here is where he does his best writing describing the life that we have in Christ. To help kind of actually maybe understand a bit of Paul's framework, uh, there's a really interesting book uh, called Man's Search for Meaning, which is written by Viktor Frankl who was a psychologist, Jewish psychologist, who ended up in Nazi internment camp. And so he wrote about his experience as a psychologist working with, or like living in the midst of this uh, Nazi internment camps. And one thing that he often said is that there's this real need for people to have a sense of meaning and hope. And that meaning and hope would allow them to endure something that would be almost undurable. and he was saying that for some people not for all but for some people they were able to see their suffering when they were able when they had hope as not suffering in of itself but actually a sacrifice and this is what we see for Paul as he's approaching his suffering through meaning and sacrifice for the people in which he's writing this is shaping how Paul is viewing that he's now part of Jesus' family writing to these people. Uh, to this church in Colossae, encouraging them and enduring for their sake. And so what does Paul say to them? Verse 25, he says, "...of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. This is it, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul unpacks this great mystery that had been hidden through the ages, which is now revealed that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. But who is this message revealed to? This is the interesting piece that it's revealed to the Gentiles, to the people that were outside of God's chosen elect that have now been brought in. That God often reveals his amazing message to people that are lacking, that are lost, that are on the outside. And they've been brought into something that is amazing. To understand that, I want to share about one of the greatest Christmas gifts I was able to be a part of giving. How many of you are like early Christmas shoppers. Like let's see hands. December 1st you're like already done all your Christmas shopping. So a few, a few of you. How many of you are like last minute shoppers? Hands go up. And then eyes dart over. To <laughs> saying you, know, <laughs> you haven't got my Christmas gift yet. <laughs> Growing up my dad was a notorious last minute shopper. He did all of his Christmas shopping Christmas Eve in the afternoon, like the worst time. But in his defense, he was like, I don't have to worry about hiding the gifts that long. You know, you just (laughs) sometimes they're just like in the packaging, you know, still have the receipt taped onto it. You just pull it off. And but this one year, my mom asked for a DVD player. And so my dad brought me and my two younger brothers And we were going to go find a DVD player. And so we go with him to the mall at Christmas Eve. It's chaotic. And he takes us to this store called EB Games. And so this store, they sell game consoles. But if you bought an Xbox at that time, you could buy this little adapter that plugged into the front of the Xbox that allowed it to be a DVD player. (laughs) And so my dad told us about this master plan. He's like, I'm going to get your mom an Xbox with this attachment as a DVD player. Well, we were so excited to be a part of this. <laughs> like, you know what would go really good with mom's DVD player? This game. <laughs> I think she would really enjoy it. And so, you know, we we helped him pick it out. We helped him wrap it. And you could just see, on Christmas morning, my mom knew something was up. Because we, we didn't we didn't care at all about our gifts. We were like, mom, you gotta open your gift. You gotta open your gift. It's so we give her like this, the first box, which had the actual like DVD remote control. And so she opens it and we're like, we got you a DVD player. We got to open it up. You got to open up the next piece. And so she's opening up the next box. And by the time she barely has the wrapping paper off, we're like, your DVD player, it's an Xbox. <laughs> and we'll help you set it up. And so we <laughs> we take it and we like start setting it up and it comes, you know, Christmas afternoon and... My mom says, well, I think it's time for us to watch a Christmas movie. Oh, nope, it's not quite set up yet. We still have to, still have to do some product testing here. <laughs> Make sure it's all fully functional. <clears throat> Here's the thing, is that the gift was from my dad for my mom. But we were brought into what was hidden, and we were part of the revealing of this amazing gift. And here, Paul is saying that the hope promised from God for God's chosen people has now revealed to the Gentiles. They've been brought into this great mystery. We've been brought into an amazing mystery. But now when it comes to this, this word, mystery, is something that we can actually have a challenge with. In the original kind of context, Greco-Roman world, mystery was often cloaked in customs and ceremony. In fact, there's whole groups devoted themselves to the, the people that knew mystery, the Gnostics, that they had this revealed mystery that only they knew. But in our modern world, we actually struggle with it. We struggle with mystery because in mystery, you come to the end of your own knowledge. That you reach your own limitations. And we don't like that. So you destroy mystery. That you try and solve everything. You try and neatly organize everything. But what is mystery in the biblical sense? What does the Bible talk about the idea of mystery? Well, throughout scripture, mystery is about the revealing of God's plan for, for redemption. Which begins in the Old Testament with the scriptures of Israel, this promised Messiah, in which Jesus is that promised Messiah who's going to deliver his people from sin, oppression, and captivity. At the same time, we see that there's this pointing towards this future reality. This future reality of all things being made new. That when it comes to the story Of Christmas, the story of the birth of Christ, that uh, next week we'll actually talk more about this future hope. But Simon, who's a prophet, who's been waiting for this hope to be fulfilled, and he finally sees the child, he finally sees Jesus, and he says that he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. That Jesus is the revealing of God's plan of redemption. But I recognize as talking about mystery, talking about it in this way, some of you might be thinking, isn't mystery just simply intellectual laziness? Saying, I don't know what that is, let's call it mystery, and I don't have to deal with it. That's not how scripture talks about it. That actually our level of understanding grows even in our level of mystery. That even a couple verses down in chapter 2, uh, in chapter 2 2, Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knitted together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That Paul actually says, I want you to have full assurance of this mystery, it's full assurance and understanding. And the more and more we grow in relationship with people, the more and more there's a sense of mystery. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, in, in his book on Reflections of Christmas, he talks about it this way. The great mystery is not the most distant star, but on the contrary, the closer something comes to us, the better we know it then, the more mysterious it becomes for us. The greatest mystery to us is not the most distant person, but the one next to us. The mystery of other people is not reduced by getting to know more and more about them. Rather, in their closeness, they become more and more mysterious. Which is why when you talk to anyone who's been married for a long time, they say that there's still a lot of mystery cloaking their spouse. The person that they know the best out of anyone in the world. That the more and more they know them, the more and more that they fall in love with him, the more and more there's still this sense of mystery. And this is why Paul says that the greatest mystery is actually Christ in you. That the closer you've been brought to Jesus, that there's this greater mystery, but it's also being revealed in more and more layers as we understand this union that we receive. That if you think about it, it's incredible to ponder this reality. And it's why mystery leads to wonder. When you look at the, as we've talked about, this large redemptive story that leads towards Jesus, that all of history actually culminates in Jesus. That the middle of history that theologians talk about is here, Jesus is birth the incarnation that this this lead and promise towards that and then at jesus' birth there's this lead towards this new era in history in which jesus is going to make all things new this cosmic christ has now resides within us that we have been brought into this incredible mystery and it leads to a sense of wonder and this is why it's so helpful to reflect on the experience of mary in the christmas story that in Luke two nineteen, it says, And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. That for Mary, recognizing that she was carrying in her the hope of the world, her response was, wa- uh, was wonder and to ponder this mystery. For us this morning, it's important to recognize this incredible hope that we have in our present age. That we have been brought into relationship with Jesus. That we become part of this future kingdom in the present. And so if we are part of this reality, how should we live in light of our present hope? Well, let's continue to hear what Paul says in the final couple verses. Verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So this morning, uh, as a way of of applying the word to us, we're going to look briefly At our call of hope, at the goal of hope, and then finally the means for hope. Beginning with our call. Our call, according to Paul here, is the proclaiming, the warning, and the teaching and wisdom of Jesus. And here's the thing, is that we proclaim what we first have received. That we talked about the hope of the world is that Christ is in you. And that we actually are people that bear the hope within us. And so our role is simply to reveal that hope to the world. It's like when I talked about being a part of the the gift that my dad gave to my mom, that we actually get to be part of revealing this great gift to the world. And this is where we get to live our lives in that way, that we get to share the good news of the gospel, the hope for the world. And we do this through the means that jesus has put forth in us in the end of matthew's gospel jesus calls his disciples in the great commission he says i want you to go out into the world to make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and he says teach them to observe all that i have commanded for i'll be with you always That the call for us is actually a life of discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. Who lives on mission. And it's this idea to teach everyone to observe all that Jesus has commanded. That discipleship is not just simply about the intellect. But it's actually a whole life response to what we've received. That we are to live a way in which the gospel provides the answer and this is something that actually is to be done within wisdom that the thought of sharing the gospel with our co-workers with our friends with our family with our neighbors can be something that can be challenging part of it is because you feel like man i walk you know there's a level of vulnerability sharing that and you feel like maybe i'll be misunderstood and so we actually need to have wisdom in the way in which we share the gospel. In 1 Peter uh, 3.15, Peter says... Yeah, you get no bonus points for being a jerk and sharing the gospel. (laughs) That we are to actually do it in in a means of wisdom, showing gentleness and respect. That even if we are to be misunderstood, we are to live in a way where they can't argue with the style of your life. That wisdom is not only knowing the right things to say but it's knowing the right time to say it and the right way to say it. It involves actually being in relationship with people and drawing them towards the hope that you have within you. And this leads to the goal of hope, which is, as Paul says, to present everyone mature in Christ. That it's actually about maturity within Christ. And one reason that, as we talked about, living this life of discipleship, this life on mission, might be a challenge is because often we can misrepresent the goal of this hope. That if we treat maturity in Christ as a disembodied set of moral rules, an ideology to be proven, or a means of self-help, we will fall glaringly short. Maturity in Christ is the transformation of our character through relational proximity. Maturity in Christ, the goal is not simply to be a good person, but the goal is actually, as we talked about, union with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. That as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we come are drawn into him and his love, that it actually begins to transform us in which hope Joy, meaning, and life become natural byproducts of a life lived with Jesus. This is the goal in which we strive for. That you think about in eternity is is actually about a life with Jesus. And we can actually begin that now. That as we receive Jesus, we start to walk in relationship. This is a relationship that we have walked into now that actually is going to continue into eternity. And so as we spend time with Jesus, we are participating now in what is a full life to come. And so how do we accomplish this? How do we receive this this relationship, this union with Jesus? How do we become mature? Well, it's through this means of toiling and struggling in his strength. Paul says, for I toil at struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me the Dallas Willard says spiritual formation is not uh, achieved by trying to bend our will rather it's the process of bringing our lives under the constant overtures of God's grace that Willard puts it again this way is about it's actually about participating in Jesus life that he's living now in the world This is why Paul in Galatians says, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by Jesus, who gave himself for me and loved me. That it's about participating in this future hope in the present through the means of relying on Jesus and his strength. It's this constant coming back to Jesus. It's this growing in what we would call spiritual practices, which are simply rhythms and patterns within our lives, means of drawing us back towards Jesus to receive his grace afresh. You know, if someone, for, my, for example, for myself, if I wanted to bench press my weight, you know, I could just go to a gym right now. I haven't been working out in a long time. <laughs> and I could just try, put it on the bar and just give it all I've got and give all the energy I have and it probably would not go very well. <laughs> Hopefully I would have a good spotter. But if I said, hey, here's my goal, I want to bench press my weight, what do I do? Is I start with something a lot lighter. Start with maybe the bar and you go back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I throw on some weight, you know? <laughs> not that, that bad. But slowly, you know, as you, as you slowly go back and you, you build up the strength, it's not this, the amount of full energy that you can push, but it's this slowly coming back, this, this building up of strength, this moving in this direction. But it's also done within the context of relationship, within the context of relationship with God, but also in the context of relationship with each other. That we become like the people that we walk in relationship. I don't know if you noticed, but Mike and I, we happen to be wearing the exact same thing today. (laughs) You become like the people you spend time with. (laughs) Maybe we dress at the same places. But But, uh, I get another helpful, maybe similar analogy. is When I used to play hockey, there was this goalie coach that I really looked up to. That he really had a... Good understanding of the game, and I would spend a lot of my own money and time to go, you know, to be with him, to have him teach me one-on-one. I would once a month drive an hour for six a.m. practice with him to just learn how he thinks about you know the position of goaltending and hockey. I remember we worked for a long time just simply on my stance as a goalie and where my head was in that stance. So we would you know, spend a whole hour, you know, tweaking, doing these different drills, trying to build that muscle memory. And then I would go back to playing games and I'd be like, you know, maybe for a couple days I would do what he had told me. And then I would go right back into how I was playing before. And so then the month would come back, I'd come back to him, all right, fix me. I can't stop a puck. (laughs) And so we'd work again and again, and then I'd go back and come back to him and again and again until i would eventually the way in which he has desired for me to play becomes second nature when i'm in the game <clears throat> and that's similar about our life with jesus that it's about coming again and again back to jesus to allow him allow these patterns to form us to become like jesus this is what paul is saying about Striving in Jesus' grace. That when it comes to the idea of, of grace and effort and means, it's important for us to understand. Again, Willard has a lot to say on this, but he says grace is opposed to effort, or sorry, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Earning is an attitude, but effort is an action. And so we don't earn our way to Jesus. But as we come back to him and we receive grace, that there's this energy, there's this effort that that happens. And this is why Paul says, you know, he's like, I'm toiling. I'm giving everything that I have for you. But I'm doing it in the means of relying on Jesus' grace within him. This is the means of our current hope. And maybe for you this morning, you've experienced that sense of hopelessness, where you feel like there's a real lack of hope in your life. And you feel like, maybe my response is like, I just got to grit it, grit my teeth, bear it, and just try really hard to change my circumstance. Maybe you're like, I know I need to pray, so I'm just going to try and pray for two hours and just make it happen by sheer will problem is that'll never work. And this is, this is the amazing thing about life with Jesus. It's about a life of grace. That in the midst of our lack of hope, we all have that invitation to come back to Jesus. That maybe if your desire is to become a person of prayer, you can hear the grace that you don't have to try and pray for two hours. But you can just, you know, every day, pray for five minutes. Allow for that moment to come back to Jesus. Allow him to shape you, to mold you, and then to go out into the world. So as we draw things towards a conclusion, reflecting on our current hope, that our present hope is revealed in what was promised, that we talked about we can actually have assurance in the hope that we have. We can have assurance because of what was prophesied in the Old Testament, which Jesus fulfilled, that gives us the assurance that what we believe is reliable. But that also points us towards the future, that our hope in the present is actually about us participating in what is to come. Uh, One theologian says therefore, hope in a biblical sense means that the believer already participates in the reality which he or she hopes. So by living our life in the kingdom, as we live under Jesus' rule, we are participating in what is to come in the present. And so this is, as we talked about, it's worked out in us proclaiming this hope. That we are to actually share the good news with our friends, our families, our co-workers. And so even this morning, I want you to think, who can I be sharing this good news with? And again, it's not about... This trying to muster up enough courage and strength where you're trying to say, you know, I can just, you know, argue this person into the kingdom. But it actually begins with prayer. As we pause, and we pray and we say, God, where are you at work in this world? How are you already at work in people's lives that I know? And then simply just engaging in relationship conversation and showing them the beauty of the gospel we're not trying to change someone's minds, but you're actually just trying to reveal what is already good and beautiful for them through Jesus. And then our current hope draws us towards the goal of becoming like Jesus maturity in Christ, that it's about being formed into the image of Jesus by being with Jesus. And as we talked about, this is accomplished through the means of grace within our lives. Not something that we have to do on our own, but it's actually relying on Jesus' strength within us. Yeah. So as we conclude, and I pray for us, just thinking of a way of responding. Every week we have a team that's here that likes to pray for people. Um, And maybe this actually could be a means for you to respond. Uh, If you're experiencing a sense of hopelessness or challenge or even just a, a need for courage, that prayer, having someone else pray for you, is a means of grace. That you can come and actually receive from God, receive this grace, to be empowered, to be sent out as his people, bearers of hope in this world.
0: Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton. And throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.